Welcome back to First Words with First Farragut United Methodist Church. Thanks for joining us. Today we'll learn more about God's promise of blessing. Blessed is a word that gets lost in translation. God's promise of blessing has nothing to do with cause and effect, nothing to do with a state of ease or material or emotional blessing, but has everything to do with the acceptance we have in Christ's love for us. Reverend Martha Scott preaches from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. morning. Our scripture this morning is from fifth chapter of Matthew verses one through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him. He taught them saying, blessed are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Blessed are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Blessed are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Blessed are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Blessed are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Blessed are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. We're going to play a little, well, it's kind of like a game show. Let's call it that. I've asked two highly, este- highly intelligent, esteemed, and literate, highly educated people to come help me with something this morning as we begin. So I want to invite Harry and Noah to please come forward. Now, in just a second, as they make their way forward, um, we're going to display something on the screens, and I'm going to ask you to this question. Are you ready? When you see, you might, you know, well, let's come down here so you can actually see. When you see this, this thing on the screen, I want to ask you what it is. And just a simple answer. Okay, Montgomery, may we have it? Harry, what is that? That's the pound sign. Pound sign. Noah, what is that? That is a hashtag. I'm sorry, Harry. In 2023, that's a hashtag. Can we give our highly intelligent people a round of, thank you. I told you they were intelligent, literate, highly educated, right? And so we've just proved that. Harry, thank you for playing along. Uh, Noah as well. I sent them a text this morning and said, I have a job for you. And they both looked at me like, what? Sorry, Harry, that's a hashtag. And in fact, Noah works in social media, and so he knows all about hashtags. Now, for those of you who don't know what a hashtag is, that is the pound sign for those of us who grew up pre-phones and all those days. A hashtag is what you use in social media if you want your message, your post, to be heard. Because there are a gazillion social media posts, and if you put a hashtag, 
that thing in front of a word in your post, it will trend in whatever app you're, you're posting in. It will also show up in Google searches. And it goes like this. You take that sound and that sound, that sign, and you put it with a word, and that's called hashtag blessed. How am I doing, hon? Am I getting this right? Teenagers know this. I'll, I'll butcher it. Hashtag blessed. Now, that particular hashtag in Instagram, I'm told, on any given day, has about a mil- 100 million posts. Hashtag blessed. And they usually accompany good news something like this. I did a search to see, just to see if that's true. And here's a few that I came up with that I found. Still can't believe I'm getting married to the love of my life. Hashtag blessed. Just got a promotion. Hashtag blessed. Vacationing in Hawaii. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. I'll agree with that one. Here's a good one. Got seven nuggets in my six piece. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Now this one's a little this one's a little shady. Got pulled over for going 54 in a 35 and didn't get a ticket. I call that hashtag good. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. Now, all of those have something to do with good circumstances, and they're legitimate causes for celebration. Marrying the love of your life, yes, if anybody would like to send me to Hawaii, I'm all for it, those kinds of things. Now, I'm not getting a speeding ticket for breaking the law. We're going to leave that one alone. But in all of those situations, it seems to suggest that we only view, quote, being blessed as being tied to good things, to abundance, to events, to circumstances. Rarely do we see a social media post that goes something like this. I lost my job, and I'm not sure how I'm going to make the next mortgage payment or buy school supplies or repair the car. Hashtag not blessed. We don't see that, right? Or this, suppose a father posts his latest status, and it's about a child, his child, who has a myriad of birth-related challenges, and his latest status talks about suffering and learning disabilities and, and the independent life that his child will never have. Hashtag cursed. We don't see that, do we? Those comments and the use of hashtag blessed offer us a glimpse of our broader cultural understanding of blessing. In our culture, we're trained to think that blessing or being blessed is the result of some sort of cause and effect. The young man was blessed because she said yes. The person was blessed to be in Hawaii, yes. And in our minds, blessing means we've received some sort of benefit. That's what we tend to think of. But Jesus in the scripture that we just read a moment ago, seems to have a completely different take on this idea of blessing. We are in our fourth week of a sermon series entitled, New Year, Same Promises. And the promises that we're looking at are the promises that God makes to us because, well, it's the end of January. My guess is any of us who made New Year's resolutions or promises to ourselves have probably hung that up by now. And that's the point. Our promises sometimes, for many reasons, are going to falter. They're going to be a little shaky. It's just going to happen. But God's promises to us, on the other hand, never fail, never fade. So we began this journey with uh, two promises, I would say, that are warm and fuzzy, that make us feel good. We talked about God's promise of new life, that, that Jesus says he came to bring us new, abundant life. And that, was, that makes us feel good. 
And then Rennie led us the second week after that in a message about God's faithfulness. God's promise to be faithful to us. Because at some point, we will also be faithless. We're going to have fears. We're going to have doubts. It's just going to happen. But God is always faithful to us. But last week, we got to a promise that God has a job for us. God's promise of ministry. That followers of Jesus have a purpose, and that is to increase the good news of Jesus in our world. We have a job. Well, we don't like to have a job, but we have a calling and a promise of ministry. So after hearing that, you probably were looking forward to the promise of blessing. Personally, I'm, I'm waiting for, for God to give me that high-paying promotion or that rich uncle I don't have to give me the inheritance that he doesn't have. I'm waiting on those blessings. So I was pretty pumped about this topic today. But Jesus pronounces some blessings that we don't really want to hear. These verses from what we call the Gospel of Matthew, this particular book in the Bible, are read at the beginning of what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount. It actually, in Matthew's Gospel, spans three chapters. So when you think my sermons are long, we could read all three chapters of Matthew's Gospel right here if you would like to do that. But most scholars believe it's probably not a full delivered in one setting, sitting kind of sermon, but was rather a compilation of Jesus' teachings. And those particular verses that we just read are often called the Beatitudes, which is a Latin word which means extremely blessed. Extreme blessedness is what it means. Those statements are also found in Luke's gospel, Although between Matthew's version and Luke's version, there are some, some differences. Luke tends to focus more on literal hunger and literal poverty and literal weeping, whereas Matthew tends to focus on the emotional and the spiritual aspects of it with the hopelessness and the poor in spirit, not necessarily poor literally. There's some slight nuances. But to put this in context of Jesus' ministry, according to the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> This takes place shortly after Jesus called or began to assemble his first few followers, those disciples. It takes place shortly after the scripture that we read last week when Jesus told his followers, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. It was their promise of ministry that they had a job to do. Not long after that, Jesus goes up on a hillside, hence the reason we call this the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to teach them. He begins to speak with them about this thing called the kingdom of heaven. It's sort of like Jesus' inaugural address. And so he sits down and he begins to cast the vision to them of what he came to do. And he begins with this. Blessed are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he ends in verse 10. Blessed are people whose lives are harassed because of righteousness. Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those two verses serve as sort of bookends. And they're, they're written in a present tense. Whereas the other verses in between seem to be a future tense. Jesus said, for they will be comforted. They will be fed. But those two, the first and almost the last, are in present tense. Jesus is often quoted in scripture as talking a lot about this thing called the kingdom of heaven. It's also referred to as the kingdom of God. And, and when you see that in scripture, those two words are interchangeable. 
The reason it's used in different, different ways in different places is because certain gospel writers would not use God's name. It was long, long uh, Hebrew tradition that you, God's name was so holy that you wouldn't speak it. So some writers wouldn't use God's name, hence they call it the kingdom of heaven, which is what Matthew does. But others call it the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. But what Jesus is saying to them, this kingdom of heaven is any place where God is. Any place where God reigns. He's not necessarily saying it's a literal place or referring to what we think of heaven when we die, this place we go to. He's not talking about that. Jesus is saying it's right here. It's right now. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God came near because Jesus broke into our world. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. And Then he begins to outline principles of this kingdom, the principles by which this kingdom is ruled. And they are not principles of worldly success. He's giving them a glimpse of a way of life where the poor are blessed and not harassed or harried, where those who grieve have hope and comfort, a place where the humble are exalted, not the proud or the arrogant or the wealthy that always seem to get the wins in life. It's what we might call an upside-down world that exists simultaneously to this one. Do we have any Stranger Things fans? Two, three, four. Oh, come on, y'all. I know there's more. Any of you can see? Thank you. Thank you. Stranger Things, I'm about to show my age, is a show on Netflix. It actually takes place in the 80s, which is when I grew up, so it's, I'm kind of fond of it. There's a lot of things in it that, I, that, I, that click with me. But the story, it's, a, it's in the genre of science fiction, and the storyline is this. There's a group of kids who grow up, they're actually teenagers now, there's a group of kids slash teenagers who discover this other world somehow, and they find entryways into this other world, and it's the same almost footprint of their Hawkins, Indiana, which is their hometown, and they somehow find ways into this other world that's been opened up by none other than the Russians, because it's the 80s, so, you know, that's what we do in the 80s. So they see this world, and they begin to call it the upside down, because what happens when they're able to get into this other place, they can see landscapes and buildings that look like their hometown, Hawkins, Indiana, only it's dark. And it's scary. And there's this gray spiderweb ash stuff all over the place. But you could see the school. You could see the mall. You could see it's the same place, but it's upside down. And they recognize it as their hometown, but not. So this upside-down world exists simultaneously with the right-side-up world of Hawkins, Indiana. It's science fiction. Work with me. The kingdom of heaven that Jesus refers to is sort of like that concept of the upside-down world. The kingdom exists here and now, although the grieving and the hardship and the struggles blind us to the goodness of God's kingdom here and now. Jesus is trying to demonstrate that hardship and blessing can simultaneously exist because of God's love demonstrated in Jesus and the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be with us amidst those hard times. The challenge is, 
we tend to read these beatitudes, they're called, as a prescription. We tend to look at these as a way of saying, if I am not in this particular situation, then I'm not blessed. A grieving father once said to me, after, after a conversation of how he was coping with the death of his son, he said this, oh, I'm blessed, just like the Bible says. I'm grieving, but according to Jesus, I'm blessed. Now, he said it with the sourest of sound of defeat in his voice that told you he felt anything but blessed. When we read these as prescriptions, we assume that unless we take a vow of poverty, unless we are in deep, deep mourning, unless we live in humility to the point of allowing people to walk all over us, then we're not Christians. That is not what Jesus is saying. We read these and we think that unless we are perfectly righteous or sinless in all aspects, then we won't enter heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. That perspective treats these like prescriptions for Christian living. And friends, to be blunt, that's wrong. That's wrong. God wants good for us. God wants goodness. But God also wants to be with us in those times of struggle, which is a blessing because we have this hope. If we were to situate these teachings of Jesus in the, the big picture, we would see them differently. A woman once said to me, a lady been in church pretty much her whole life, she said, I get bits and pieces of this Christian life. I get it through a sermon here, a sermon there. I get, I sort of understand the gospel and this, this, that there's good news in this message that Jesus came to heal people. I've been taught that he died and he rose again for my sins. I, I get all that jazz, but I just don't get the big picture. She said, I just can't grasp the big picture. What's it all about? Why did Jesus come? If there was one particular section of the Bible that offers the big picture perspective, it's the Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes show God's promise of blessing out of and in spite of not-so-good circumstances. Jesus tells us in our upside-down world that we live in, we can simultaneously be comforted. We can be given glimpses of hope in the midst of dark days, standing at the graveside, looking at the proverbial pink slip, nursing a broken heart, walking through betrayal of trust, whatever it is, we are hashtag blessed because we have an assurance that we're not alone. We have a risen Savior who comes close to us, close enough to us in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit and says, I'm here, I'm with you. This kingdom of grace and love and encouragement is here. You can't see it. You likely can't feel it amidst the pain, but it's here. And in this upside-down world of darkness and fear, the kingdom light still shines. If the Beatitudes were written today, which I did, they might say something like this. Oh, the blessedness of those who mourn for the state of the world today. For in Christ they have hope. 
Oh, the blessedness of those who experience injustice, homelessness. Blessed are the immigrants, legal or illegal, for they are all valued by God. Oh, the blessedness of the parent grieving the loss of a child. For the power of the Holy Spirit encourages and comforts. Oh, the blessedness of the couple who just can't make it work and are signing those divorce papers. For God offers grace and forgiveness. Oh, the blessedness of those who see a once great nation spiraling into turmoil. For they will find strength and hope in Christ. Oh, the blessedness of the ones who offer mercy to the least, the last, the lost, the addict, the felon, and yes, even the politician. For they have received mercy too. Oh, the blessedness of those who stand for Jesus Christ when their culture, their leaders, their laws don't. Because they are governed by mercy, not rule. Oh, the blessedness of all. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hashtag blessed is the promise that God loves us and is with us through it all. It has nothing to do with circumstances or good things because clinging to that promise will carry us through those difficult times. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll talk about God's promise of guidance. God promises us that God will not leave us without direction. We may find it challenging to discern God's will and way forward, but the guidance of the grace of Christ remains an unchanged promise. See you then.